Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. That's right, everybody. Stand clear. What's up? It's the 100% Wild Podcast. This is episode number 274, powered by DeerCast. There's Mr. Matt Drury. And we have my favorite co-host back, Tim Chelsvick. Last week, we had Coondog on. He took your place. You were on vacation. I didn't know we took vacations here. I didn't, really. I had kids with me. (laughs) That's no vacation. Plus, you were working. (laughs) Right. When you take a vacation with kids, it's just parenting in a different location, pretty much. Yeah. It never it's, ends. It never ends. When will but they grow it was, up? It was awesome. We went to Sturgeon <laughs> Bay, which is up in Door County, Wisconsin. And the temperatures were awesome. The Lake Michigan there was beautiful. Caught some fish, ate some candy, had some cheese curds. It was the true Wisconsin experience. I noticed you shared a picture on social media of you kind of laying on a speech chair. And uh-huh. you're, relaxing. You're relaxing. My loophole optics on. Your shirt's off like every uh-huh. post that you post. Yeah. And, but you had... Even when I'm at church, I'm taking it. <laughs> yeah. You had regular shorts on. I was going to ask you about this. So you have specific clothes that you wear in water yeah they're called swimsuits nice richie rich jeez oh I water hear. water clothing huh. <laughs> yeah a swimsuit <laughs> look into this yeah i can lend you a pair <laughs> no thank you <laughs> they're clean i wash them aren't they prescription yeah uh, i don't know <laughs> i wear underwear so <laughs> prescription pants we wouldn't be that close to each other we better move on <laughs> Well, we've got uh, we got Old Man Winter joining us this week because we're going to be talking about the new DeerCast features, and Terry and Mark, they are the brain trust behind DeerCast, so it'll be interesting to hear some of the origin stories for some of the new features. His take on what the plan was and versus what you and I and Alan and the team executed, <laughs> that, that'll be interesting. See, here's what I'd like it to be. Here's what it is. Here's what you guys delivered in <laughs> yes. two years. So uh, without man. further ado, what's up, old man? How's it going? Terry, live from the farm. Well, after I heard what you were talking about there, I, I was not sure if I wanted to be a part of this podcast or not. It was going south in a hurry. Yeah. I don't know, swimsuits and Somebody don't have them. Somebody does have them. I don't know. I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> somebody, somebody doesn't have a swimsuit. Tim, <laughs> I thought it was odd. I, I, maybe I'll someday I'll go buy some. Sounds neat. You can get I them like anywhere. The Walmart really? has them. Yeah, oh. come on. Wow. Anyways. <clears throat> Terry chagrined. <laughs> He's disappointed in me, but it won't be the first or last time. <laughs> Today? My, my son spent five minutes bragging about how he has swim trunks. Uh. <laughs> so let, let's get be. into the let's get into the heart of the matter. Let's talk about deer casts and what all we're doing right now. Huh? <laughs> Can I say one thing about Coon Dog? Yeah, same. Coon Dog is uh, there's something he's affable. You can't help but love the guy. Oh yeah, I I, I feel a certain amount of ownership for co-hosting the show. I'm sometimes proud of what we do. I have a new appreciation for you co-hosting it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and Kudak, the guy is just like, everything he says is gold. I don't know if he intends it to be, but... So, uh, Terry, I don't know if you've watched last week's episode. Probably not. But Kundog, he had put on a fake pair of glasses. I didn't know he did that. 
Because he's used to when we do the interviews in the studio wearing a fake pair like Mark does for the 13 interviews so you don't have the reflection of the camera lights. And uh, so he was wearing these fake glasses. And at the end of the podcast, I made him read the new Rack Pack members' names. <laughs> he, he kept butchering everybody's name worse than I do. More so. But, but it's because he couldn't see them. <laughs> and like he was replacing letters with different letters. I'm like, what is he doing? Yeah, there were like words, like letters that weren't even in the yeah, person's name. So he didn't tell me that he didn't have real glasses on. And I didn't pick Let's up on it. Let's see here. But at the end of the podcast, after it was all over, I was like, what was your deal? He's like, I had fake glasses on. And, I, and he put his fingers through the where the lenses were. I'm like, oh, my bad. So I felt bad. Uh, as I, put him on the, I totally put him on the spot. I was like, hey, Kundog, you read the names this week. I'm illiterate, actually. I can't. Hold on. I can't read. <laughs> So you missed it if uh, if you didn't watch last week's episode. I, I did not see last week, but I'm anxious to see it because I love Kundog. We all do. Yeah. And uh, yes, Tim, I agree with you. Can't help but love him. Well, you, have you know, to... he, he says things and he does things that are unique in the fact that he's been with us for so many years. We kind of know what he's thinking, but it. <laughs> But when he approaches you and he says something, sometimes it don't always come out with what you think it might. So yeah. he's been he's been gold and he is gold and he's always has been, always will be as far as we're concerned. Love him to death. Uh, and it was cool that he sat in. I, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's he's pretty phenomenal. How do you do? Overall, he did fine. Hey, I think I threw him off guard a couple times with questions. I, you know, I don't know that. Because we, we really didn't have an agenda, I wanted to kind of hear about his season last year because I've really been enjoying watching Critical Mass. I've proofed all the episodes, and he made a huge comeback in Critical Mass, and he's been a real bright spot on the cast. Like It's been really enjoyable to watch him. And uh, so I wanted some insight on his season last year, and I, I think I threw him for a loop. He, so you were like... He was like Ed McMahon, and you were like Johnny Carson. Ed McMahon <laughs> is great for one-liners. Ha-ha, yeah. you're right, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't go much deeper than that. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of – there wasn't play. A, And the weird part is I know that he – like he works side by side, whether he goes to an outfitter or whether he's hunting with a, you know, for, he really works side by side with them to come up with these plans. And uh, that's what I was trying to pull out of him. But I, I don't know that I got there. <laughs> well, I bet you he has swim trunks. So he's Oh, I know me. he does because you know how he was so dark brown. He tans all the time. Coon dog in turkey camp, doesn't he? He'll sit there and he'll tan in turkey camp. <laughs> Well, he, he actually does it in tanning salons, which I find we always oh. we always joked about it. And uh, I, I don't know. I just <laughs> he's always dark. Very, very dark. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, We're going to move on. Yeah. Like, let's so do the, that. And for those that don't know him, he, he has a, uh, you know, background in the Cherokee heritage. So, uh, you know, part of our fascination with Coondog is his family and how he grew up and the history and. You know, he's an interesting, interesting guy that a lot of people don't know about it. You could literally write a book just about Coondog and his family and and certain things, you know, in their background. I, I, I love him. The title of the book, Pow, Baby, Pow. Pow, Baby, Pow. <laughs> yeah. okay, right. So for the real wild clip later on in the show, we've got uh, a great example of circle of life happening. A little bit of tragedy. So folks, make sure you want to stay and listen. A deep tease. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm All a, right. I'm a co-host. Okay. All right, Terry, I want to know you're up at the farm right now. I know you guys are 
you know, putting in work all year round, but what's currently going on. And then I want to kind of parlay, parlay that into how you guys are utilizing the new DeerCast map features and helping you execute your plan. Cause I know you have a couple big deer that you're after for this fall. Well, and for those that are out there that don't know about launching DeerCast, you know, now with the mapping feature uh, has been just an absolute godsend for a hunter and that's really how we based it. We, it may not be the flashiest, it may not be the prettiest, but what it is, it's functional and it's designed and built for deer hunters. And we feel like uh, all of these elements are these assets that we put within DeerCast are gonna help some people this year. And to kind of segue that into what we're doing right now, Forrest is in Illinois today, he and Chad will be back, but they were working on a an area over in Illinois that we simply could not get to last year or couldn't get to it since we leased this particular parcel. So uh, this past winter, we went in there, we were gonna move a blind and uh, it was a hawk. We, we started up this one little hillside, got stuck, make a long story short. We had to push the blind off the trailer, had to flip the trailer around by hand, unhook it from the truck, turned it around, you know, got the blind off the road over in the ditch and then got the truck out with and made just a tremendous mess with ruts and stuck and blah, blah, blah. So here it is, July. Uh, they were over there a couple of weeks ago and got the road at least halfway straightened up, put a few Dutchmen in the road to try and divert the water. And then yesterday, uh, we finally got two loads of rock back there and Chad had skid steer, put rock on the road. And we're now able to get to a part of that farm that we were never able to get to we weren't able to get deer out and yada, yada, yada. So long story short, if you and Scott happen to be over there hunting or, or anyone else, we can now give you that, you know, with path tracker uh, and waypoints on deer cast, we can show you exactly where it is. We can tell you how far it is, uh, where the camera locations are at. Everything a guy needs to know uh, about hunting is in this app. And, and it's been an absolute godsend for us. It's, it's really functional. Uh, although in areas where you don't have service, like here on my farm, we have zero service in, in the best of spots. So we're, we're, uh, uploading our offline maps when we do have service. And then before we go into those bad areas, we go offline and we just use the map just like you would, uh, if you were online. So it's been functioning quite well also, but you have to have it downloaded obviously, and have it there on your phone cached away. And uh, all that information that you put on there, whether it's camera locations or waypoints, and you guys know this better than anyone, uh, all of it's there. So it's been it's been a real attribute. That's Illinois. That's what they're doing over there. And he was energizing some of our Reconyx cameras. You know, a lot we had put them all to sleep uh-huh. over the winter months. He's got those all up and running. We got a couple of deer that we didn't kill last year. You know it better than anybody, Matt. You were over there, so we're targeting them this year. Hopefully, they'll show back up. So he's got everything rolling there. Uh, with Reconyx. He's got several cameras here on the farm already rolling. We've got a neighbor in here haying a big part of our uh, our hay ground right now. So I was dealing with him this morning. We got gates, we got fences, we got tree stands. We're, we're going through every facet, trimming lanes, trimming roads, checking safe lines, checking straps. So this is this is our busiest time of the year. But with DeerCast, we're able to mark every single bit of that down Every bit of it's going to be right at our fingertips. It's a it's a nice asset and another quiver in the, or an arrow in the quiver, if you will, uh, for 
hunters and i'll let you guys maybe expand on some of those specifically that you want to talk about whether it's rain stations or wind check or whatever it may be well we you know we did a pretty deep dive in it uh two episodes ago and kind of went feature by feature and i i felt you know i watched back through it just to kind of make sure we touched on everything we we needed to and i mean it was a pretty thorough example of everything that DeerCast has to offer so i like to you know and we went through real world usage uh, you know what what a favorite feature is and how we utilize it and, and so on and so forth so really i'd like to hear kind of what what's something that one feature or two features especially this time of year that you really honed in on and utilized and i'm sure forest as as much as you has utilized the most right now this time of year and how it's helping you well for example the neighbor wanted to put some new fence up he has cattle i do not in missouri there is a right hand rule so i'm responsible for half of that fence uh, we literally use our position to pinpoint the halfway spot. And that's one of the things that I have found. This thing is extremely, extremely accurate when it comes to, you know, finding where you're at or your location. If you've got that function turned on, man, oh man, it's been like nails as far as I'm concerned, extremely accurate. So you find the halfway point. And then if you're building new fence, you want to know exactly where the line may be. It's been very, very helpful in that respect to build new fence. We've got a spot out here along the road, a 40-acre parcel that we're, I wanted to get a price from the, uh, from the fence installer. And, and he's been able to use that function just to determine where the fence will go. So that's, a, that's an infield use that's extremely practical. Anybody can use it. But I have found that it's extremely, extremely accurate to your location. Even if you don't have a surveyor out there to locate those corners, by golly, it's it's on the mark. So you used your location and then line distance. Is that what yes. you're saying? The line yes. distance tool. Yeah. And probably your yeah. parcel layer was on too. I imagine. <clears throat> yes, correct. So. Yeah, it's been it's just something as small as that, or it would seem you know if you got to hire a surveyor and get him out there to find out where the line and distance is, it's you know number one, it's costly. Number two, you you're waiting for several weeks to get that done. So it's one of those things you go out there instantaneously and come to terms with your neighbor and say, right here is the halfway spot. It's the distance to that corner by X amount. It's the distance to that corner X amount. And uh, it's it's pretty impressive. Now, on parcel data, just to clarify this, you do have to know, I mean, I wouldn't utilize it for a um in place of a surveyor to 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 be the final you know what i mean because none of the apps out there they're not they're not exact it's a couple it could be a couple yards off yeah you know one way or the other this is our disclaimer we're not doctors so we don't take our medical advice yeah but i have found this one to be a little more accurate than most and with a engineering background or surveying background as well it's it's pretty impressive and if you and the neighbor come to terms and you agree on those lines and distances yeah. and, and so on and so forth. That's one thing. If you, if there's a dispute, no, I would have a surveyor go, go, you know, put those points and yeah. set them. But man, oh man, if you're trying to do something and it's an area where you could be off a foot or 18 inches and the neighbors the same way going, I don't care, let's just get it in then it's uh, yeah. more than accurate enough to do that. And we utilize an, an API, another company that we hire to use their data and, and put that into the app. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where it it's provided by each county, each state. It's it's not something yeah. where we're actually out there. Tim's on, you know, you gotta, out surveying everybody's property. <laughs> I got this tripod thing. How do I work it now? <laughs> so just to kind of give you a back background on how that technology works. 
Well, it's literally it's literally a plat book that has sometime been converted to a microfiche or something, and then they download that information. And uh, I know it's it's cumbersome if you don't have it. You know, if you got to go back, and a lot of counties may or may not have it. There were some up here that did not have that information available, but the ones that do has been phenomenal. It's been Correct. awesome. Yeah, that for, those, data. for those who've been lost in Terry's technical jargon, microfish means a very small fish, like a minnow. Don't catch it with a Zebco, by all means. <laughs> Zebco it's a minnow. Real. <laughs> Zeb- it's a minnow. Last week, no. in, the, in the names of the week, Tim put in a fake name that was, what was the name? Zeb, last name, Coreal. Coreal. And I struggled with it, <laughs> to say the least. Zeb Coreal. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> So, so you're using, okay. So you're using line distance, parcel data kind of to figure out, you know, the fencing. Um, I'm sure you guys are keeping a close eye on rain. It's been a really hot and dry summer as wet as our spring was here in the Midwest. Our summer, at least here in the St. Louis area Mm -hmm. has been extremely dry and hot. So what are you guys doing in that regard as you look out and try to start figuring out? Because you guys have a ton of fall food plots that you plant in August. I'm sure you're up against Mother Nature, up against the clock, and timing out those rains is a huge part of that. You know, I don't want to say that rain station is the best feature on DeerCast Maps, but by golly, it's one that I really, really like because we're freaks about precip. You know, we want to know... Uh, how much we got, number one, within the last 24 hours. And then I really, really am, am caught up in historical data as well. I like to know year to date, starting January 1 through today's date, uh, 10-year average, 20-year average, 30-year average, so that you have something co- to compare it to. So if you take that 10-year average that that you have had historically and you look at year to date in DeerCast, you go, okay, we're two inches behind or we're two inches ahead. Then, you know, you may have a little dry period coming or you may have some rain coming because they don't get those averages by by, uh, you know, not dumping it all at one time or dumping it all at one time. That average is historical. Mm -hmm. So I like to compare it on almost a daily basis. Forrest and I are ate up with it. But you really want to know if the average means that there is a pretty good chance you'll have rain in the fall. Or does that mean you got it all during the summer months and you're not going to get any rain? So it may dictate or determine the size of some of your fall plots, the location of some of your fall plots. You know, can you water them? Are you close to a creek? Are you close to a pond? You know, if you have to, if you're forced to. If you're six inches ahead on your average rainfall of what your year to date is 10-year average, pretty good chance you're going to be, you know, begging for a shower somewhere in the fall. And you may not get it till late October or November. So you really got to be careful in what you plant, how much you plant, and where you plant it at. And that's kind of what we base and what we use this precept for. And I've got several of those rain stations located throughout the farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Forrest is on an iOS. He's on, uh, and I'm on, I'm on an Android. And I know you guys give me trouble about being on an Android, but no. we compare that data, and they're they're extremely accurate. Uh, but those rain stations may vary just a little bit because the you know this time of year some of that cloud cover and some of those showers those pop-up showers are rather random Mm -hmm. you may get an inch and a half on one side of the farm and you may only get a half inch on the other side of the farm so we're constantly comparing those rain stations seeing just how accurate they are and they've been extremely on point for us thus far and they're they're virtual estimations based on you know real rain stations that are kind of um 
tied into this API and and in the region. So I mean, those pop up showers, or if you get, um, uh, you know rain that has kind of a variation and it, maybe it's coming down really hard in one area, but like the edges are a little bit lighter. Like it does pretty good, but it is still a estimation, you know? Yeah. And, well, and, and, you- and I have found that it, that it updates and gets more and more accurate. If you give it just a little bit of time, we, yeah. we have found that if you try to get that information immediately, because it is an estimation, it may or may not be 100% accurate, but if you give it time to update the actual rainfall, it's and it's taking the radar. Uh, I guess it was an estimation along with that. What actually fell? Those two combined. If you give it time to update, it's pretty doggone close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that because it, you know you talked about the historical rain data, and all that stuff is coming from the same rain stations, the real rain stations mm-hmm. that are you know scattered across the country. So what you're talking about and giving it some time, it's allowing that information to then come in. So it, it, it then switches over from what was an estimation to what was what the real thing. Fell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Tim, you were going to ask something. No, I was going to make that exact point that there is a little bit of transition time, but once you go from historical to, or what you, once you go from predicted to actual, then you'll see those numbers really, really start to make sense. Yeah. Um, the other thing I am looking forward to, I know we all are wringing our hands in August about fall food plots and, and planting and if, if, you know, trying to time that with rain and then rain stations are going to be killer for that because you're going to be able to see based on where you place your rain stations, if you should go in and plant your clover on today, because we're supposed to get some rain tomorrow. Well, and the feature that I think is the most underutilized in rain station because it, we just got to share this, you know, how the how-to part of it. You can go out two weeks in advance from your current mm-hmm. day because we have two weeks of weather forecast. Yeah. And so what you'll do is on the date picker on the bottom of rain station, you actually go in there and go out two weeks in advance and it'll give you that two week forecast. And I even mentioned to Scott, cause we have a little more ground this year than we've had in the past to food plot that we'll, we're going to start looking, you know, at the two week forecast here, really any, any day now. Mm-hmm. And we might plant ahead. Now, if it's a slight chance, I'm not going to take, take a chance on that. But if there's a pretty good chance here in the next 14 days, you know, once I hit say August 1st and I'm looking out, we're going to probably go ahead and plant ahead of time, put seed coat on everything and then hope like hell that the, that Mm. the forecasted prediction stays true Sure. and take a risk because we got more ground than we have time. Like in the past, we would just time it out. Like, Hey, there's a big rain coming. We're going to plant the day before, Mm -hmm. you know, or the day of, well, now we have just a couple more food plots where I need that advanced notice and we're going to, kind of take a little bit of a gamble and use the seed coat and try to get our food plots in, in increments, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout August. That's, that's the plan anyways. Uh, And radar helps with that too, obviously, you know, that you can see if it's, if a big, big massive front is coming or whether they're just pop-up showers, but uh, also in the predictor, our regular movement predictor, we can look 14 days out and see what the temperatures are going to be because the last thing you want is for all that seed to germinate and then burn up. We've had that in years past yeah. as well, where, you know, at all, you get that beautiful rain that you were hoping for, and then the temps climb in the mid to upper 90s or into a, a 100, and then you're going, oh, God, now what? We just lost everything that we had planted. So, you know, then you get into a watering, you know, scenario. But 
being able to look out there a little further than years past has been extremely helpful. And I started it this way. I don't know that Rain Station is the best out of all of it, but boy, I love it. Absolutely. I look at it every day. I, I kind of think it depends on what part of the year you're in. So in this period, I do think it's the best feature. When you get into the fall, I think radar and um, the, the wind checker mm-hmm. are the best features. You yeah. know, waypoints and all that, that's great. And path tracker, all that's great offline. But when you're actually, because we beta tested it all last fall, when you're actually in the stand, you're constantly looking at wind checker. And if the rain, you know, rain events coming through and you're in, you know, you're looking at that radar nonstop. So I think it'll change as the year progresses in the different part of the seasons based on what functions and features you need for that yeah. part of the yeah, year. It's a little bit relevant. Yeah. First time I climb a tree, September the 15th. Yeah. That wind checker is going to be Pretty doggone important. Well, and well, and really, September the tenth is when you can start looking at September the fifteenth because it goes out five True. days. That wind yeah. checker, you can go out yeah. ahead and see. You know, of course, it's it's based on forecasted data, so it'll change, but it starts giving you a good idea. You know, ahead another of time. really really cool feature is the wind checker. I, I don't know. Uh, one of the things that we we discussed long and laborious was was <laughs> that tent stream and that cone. And it's, it's nice to give people an idea when they're sitting in a tree, the difference between a one to five mile an hour and a five to 10 mile an hour scent cone, because it's, a, it's vastly different on the size of that cone and the area that you're affecting on the downwind side. And then conversely, 10 to 15, 15 to 20. But uh, I think for someone to be able to shuttle back and forth and look what that scent stream is actually doing when it comes to the cone, they're going to go, oh my God, I didn't realize I was winding that much area mm-hmm. on the downwind side or they're going to go you know what i can slip the wind here just a little bit i'm eight to ten this is the perfect wind the cone's pretty narrow i'm going to sit this spot today that's that's the uh mindset that you have to be in as far as the practicality is concerned on a two to three you're going oh good lord i'm sent i'm sending everything i'm trying to hunt here you know i'm i'm yeah. almost sending a 180 and uh on a on an eight to ten you've got a pretty consistent cone so I think people will use that to their advantage once they once they look at it, you know, in great detail and start figuring it out. And, and, and I really encourage people to slide that the wind selector slider around because it's only then that you see, oh, there are different animations for different wind speeds. And then there are different there's there's a description in there that is specifically I think Mark wrote Mark wrote these how to hunt that particular wind speed. So everything is very custom to your conditions, but you only see that when you start sliding through. Yeah, and that, that there's a little eye next to the, the mile per hour in the yep. wind direction. It's for info button. You click that info button and it tells you what, what you know, those, those things that Tim were just, was just mentioning. It tells you the yep. exact kind of description for that wind cone and speed. Yeah, that that info button is pretty small, so we'd have to point that out to make sure they're aware of where it's at. You just referred to the to the wind speed, Matt, and if they look that circle with the eye in it, you know, normally you would just you would look past that, but yeah. if, if you press on it, there is a lot of information there. And you're right, Mark was pretty adamant about making sure those were on point, on target, and I do believe they are. Well, even in rain station. Uh, it's the same thing. Like that, when you pull up the modal, we call it the modal, the part where you can change the details and yeah. and and the dates and all that. There are eyes and circles next to almost each uh, 
each thing like the next 24 hours or past 24 or whatever, you know, next 72, it'll give you a description to tell you exactly what the data fields are in the background. Mm -hmm. Like how's it, you know, is it midnight till, you know, is it midnight till midnight or is it, or midnight till 1159 or is it midnight till right now? Like it tells you the difference in all those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's very helpful. You know what, as a, as a deer hunter for many, many decades, it, you know, weather has been our number one uh element that you can't control but you can play it to your advantage and deercast with deercast maps has literally taken us to another level and and that's kind of why we did it was enabling others to be able to look at at precip and be able to look at wind direction and be able to look at path tracker and and all those different functionalities that are that are encompassed within man, have been just a, a godsend for us. And, and we've got them at our fingertips now. You know, if we don't have service, we go to offline maps. It's just been really, really helpful. And I think the more people use it, the more they're going to get dependent on it and then find out that they'll be able to kill some pretty doggone good deer if they uh, use it wisely. Well, that's kind of the thing right now. Uh, hunters are notoriously bad about um, uh, procrastinating on things. And, like, you don't want to get a bow – a week before a season and just start shooting it then DeerCast is the same way it is a platform a suite of tools so the earlier you get it before season the more you have time to play around with it and get familiar with it and figure out how to leverage it for the way that you hunt and the needs you have so that when season comes around you are proficient at using it because it is a, it's it's a toolbox of tools so get in get it get in there and start figuring it out before season starts it's Don't like wait. buying a new computer, if you will, you know? I will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Getting acclimated takes a little while. You're right, Tim. The more you play with it, the, the better you get at it. It's the functionality and, and uh, all of those different elements that we've got in there. Just distance. Something as simple as distance. I'll be, I was driving through the farm yesterday. We're, like I said, we're haying the farm right now. And if you want to know how far it is from your location to that tree over there, you just pop up distance and it tells you exactly you put a point on it and you know exactly you go okay that's within my roundhouse i can shoot that you know when it comes to deciding where you want to put a stand or deciding where you want to put a blind or deciding how wide you want to make a food plot or how mm -hmm. how big or how wide the food plot already is it's uh it's just nice to have it at your fingertips it's like walking around with a with a rangefinder literally deercast saved the day i i went back and i was doing like a work weekend for uh, the camp that i used to run way back in the day and when i got there the pool had not been filled and they had no plan for getting it filled and campers were coming in two days and and so we worked out a deal we found a guy that hauled water for farmers but he need but there was a bridge, like an old bridge that they couldn't drive their big tanker trucks over. And the guy's like, well, I need to know how much hose to bring to fill this pool up because it's, Boom. and so yeah. I was like, oh, I got that. So I started putting, I got line distance out and started making, making the path to it. We figured out we needed 125 feet worth of pipe to get to the pool. And so he's like, no problem. I'll load that up in my trucks and away we went. Nice. Save the day. Hey, we got our fire truck running up here if you need some more water. <laughs> man, it only took like a year. <laughs> it was a little over a year. I, I think you're right, man. So, okay, so digging into the food plot side, um, you know, fall food plots are coming. Here in August, you'll start planting. Are you guys 
actually going ahead and creating all your food plots? Like, do you walk path tracker, use path tracker to walk out the food plot and then take, you know, the, the food plot tool and then map it out to know exactly where they are? Or do you, know, are you going in ahead of time and just kind of getting it close and mapping it out? So, you know, the acreage and all that good stuff for your seed totals. He, number one, he did, uh, on path tracker, he did that. He does it a lot when he's spraying and or fertilizing. He uses path tracker every single time he, he either sprays or fertilizes to make sure that we don't miss anything, to make sure we got proper coverage. Uh, and then the area that we get, we know exactly how much we got to put on. If there's a certain rate or an application rate on the spray, we know exactly how much needs to go on there. Same way with fertilizer. If we know the exact area or the measurements in the area, we put on X number of pounds. If he gets to the end, he goes, uh-oh, I still got a half a cart of fertilizer on. I need to finish applying this. Or, oh, I ran out. It's like, uh-oh, I put too much. So it's very, very helpful in, in determining that. Same way with food plots. We did a, a lot of what you just described, but we did it when we were putting up all of our electric fences, Matt. You know, some, some of those food plots, because fertilizer costs were higher this year, and our, our falls have been a little more mild. So we've taken uh, a lot of it to uh, biologic clover fields, you know, some non-typical clover instead of the corn and the beans like we've been doing in years past. We've been converting some fields over. So we use distance measurements so we knew exactly how far we'd need to go from the uh, blinds or tree stands and then uh, figured out what those areas were so we knew our application rate on the seeding. But we've, we've converted a lot of it, and then we put up our electric fences to try and help save this uh, browse pressure on the beans has yeah. been so bad this year started out on the corn they literally were eating our corn down once it got to 18 inches tall or so they were taking it to the ground so we had to electric fence some of our corn we electric fenced a lot of our beans but all of that is very very calculated we may get climb up in a blind and either you know get those distances or from right where we're sitting we'll figure out what those distances are and a lot of it is with mom in the back of our minds we're desperately going to try and get her a buck this year. So much of it is uh, based around mom shooting a crossbow and or shooting a firearm during, during gun season. You better because you failed last year. I know. Miserably. Uh, I've never worked so hard to put someone on a deer. And, and we had a couple opportunities, but for one reason or another, it just didn't work out. So we're going we're gonna to start right back up this year and, and do what we can to get a buck in front of her and try and get one on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> And if you don't succeed, she'll be wanting to go to Mark's. Following Mark. Yeah. <laughs> she said that last year. Well, I wonder if Mark's got some bucks up there on his farm. <laughs> I was like, no, he ain't got any bucks on his farm. <laughs> We're going to sit right here, Mom. <laughs> Look, your weapon is care how miserable you are. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with all the assets that, that you have on your property, Terry, do, do you ever log into .com? on DeerCast and and use kind of a bigger screen to manage all that stuff? You know, we do when we're in the war room here, Tim. Yeah. I don't personally on my on my uh, notepad or anything, but on in the war room here we will from time to time. It's fun looking at it here in the war room because the, the monitor's big enough. Sure. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. Jeez. But that monitor, when we put it up there and we start talking about camera locations or stand locations and when we want to we're moving stuff. I've been moving blinds 10 yards and 15 yards. We're, we tweak stuff down to the, you know, one might be wind direction, one might be access and one might be the shot distance. So mm. we move a lot of stuff, 10 to 15 yards. So it's nice to have that feature 
and be able to analyze it and say, you know, because we don't want to necessarily have to go out in the field and get full of ticks. We would rather do it here in the privacy of this beautiful air conditioned concrete floor. And uh, it's fun doing it on that monitor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I leave deer. I mean, obviously, I'm in DeerCast all day long, but I like leaving it up on my computer screen and being able to move stuff around. Same. Sure. Yeah. Especially so, cameras, you know, and, and stands. I, we're, we move stuff just literally not for the sake of moving, but going, that was that shot was just a little bit out of our roundhouse. Let's try and move it five to 10 yards and get it under 30 or get yeah. it under 40 or, or whatever. And uh, it makes a huge difference. Back last year when we were beta testing a lot of these features, we would add assets to our maps and they would go away when we would get a new release that we would be testing. So I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to start attaching trail cam photos to my trail cam waypoints just because I want to start building that history and be neat to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unless you got more to cover there, Terry, um, I'm going to move on to the... Real wild clip of the week. Oh my! You know wow. we didn't we didn't talk about the movement predictor. We didn't talk about you know Deercast Track. There's just so many features, you know, that we take for granted that someone new that may or may not have Deercast that is is listening. Uh, it's it's a game changer. I mean, if you're a whitetail guy and you love to hunt whitetail deer, man, it's nice to have it in your pocket, you know, at your fingertips. Especially Deercast Track. You know, for those guys, everybody tells you how to kill them. Nobody tells you how to find them. <laughs> so yeah, that one's been a, a big, big game changer for everybody. Well, and, and we, we spent a lot of time talking about the pricing model. So Elite Plus is 50 bucks and Unlimited is 75 bucks. We, with, with all the tools you get, in deer, we really wanted to provide a value. We know that, that money is tight for a lot of folks, especially right now. We worked very, very hard to, to bring those price points down to where it would be affordable for as many people as possible and provide a real strong value. I mean, even if it saves you a couple trips to your deer stand with gas at uh, almost five bucks a gallon, right. you, it could be paying for itself pretty quickly. So we, we know like it's more than our previous 10 and $20 price points, uh, but we, we did work very hard to keep those price points low given all the, the resources that are in there. Well, plus the 10 and 20 you're still there there's yep. still a free you know we there there's still those levels so i mean you don't have to you know you don't have to go to the next level but if you want to kind of up your game and and unlock the full power of what the app can do it's it's available for you there at a pretty yeah. fair price yeah plus so. you get but, and i think days. you hit the nail on the head tim you know if a guy lives three or four hours from his farm and he's spending the money to get you know to go to and from and the movement predictor says bad or poor you may go, you know what, I think I'll wait until I get a good or a great, you know, and because yep. you, you certainly don't want to waste your time. Or if you're looking at the rain station and you got an inch of rain on a clover plot, you go and you and you're showing a good or a great. You go, man, I'm going I'm not going to miss tonight or in the moon's rising and all those other things. So it's it's extremely helpful. And, yes, it can it can literally pay for itself if you use it wisely. It's it's uh, an investment. No different than a rangefinder, no different than your your broadheads, your arrows, your bow, your boots, regardless of what it is, it's an investment and it, and it's I think it's the single best investment you can make if you're an avid whitetail hunter or a beginner. It may be as, as good for a beginner as it is uh, for an avid guy. Uh, you know, those novices that need a little extra boost or maybe some confidence to say, you know what, today's the day. I'm gonna go. Yeah. It's uh it's it's just second to none. Agreed. Okay. All right. Let's get wild. 
with the real wild clip. It's powered by DeerCast, and it's it's brutal. It's gruesome. Oh, oh can't wait to see we it. Should pro- <laughs> well, you know, we're probably going to get censored on social for this. Okay, great, Tim. <laughs> going to put a cover up over it. All right, so let's see this beautiful. This came from Tristan Crawford, footage. by the way. Tristan is. Okay, so uh, we're seeing a coyote here. It's got a fawn in its mouth, and the coyote is running through a field, and the fawn is just kind of just dead weight dragging around in its mouth. Tristan pans over, and there's a doe standing there watching everything unfold. That's probably her fawn. This coyote just took off with her fawn. Pretty brutal, and, and predator control. It's it's one of those things that you you know not everybody loves to put in the work and do it, but this is a prime example of it's not just predator control from a turkey aspect and eggs and you know all that, mm-hmm. but from a deer perspective, like coyotes can be absolutely deadly on yeah. deer. Well, and in DeerCast, we have an article Jim Richmond wrote about Burmese pythons eating whitetails in the Florida Everglades. What? So as, yeah, for real. So there's, there's this issue of, you know, people have released exotic pets in Florida for years and there's iguanas now that are a problem, but these Burmese pythons. If an iguana's uh, eating a deer, I'd like to see that. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, thankfully the deer is safe from iguanas, but it, it kind of shows you just how like the pir- people release piranhas when they get too big in their aquarium and all these things Im- impact the ecosystem. Well, Burmese pythons are big enough, a- adult ones, to take a fawn. And, and that's what they're doing. Biologists don't have a handle on the scope of the problem. But, you know, in trying to eradicate a particular species of snake from the Everglades, it's pretty much impossible at this point. The cat's out yeah. of the bag. Yeah. Uh, so, Terry, have you, I know that back in the day you guys filmed some footage in the fall where a group of coyotes, a pack of coyotes, took down a, a deer. Have you, I mean, is that something you have seen much since or have camera, you know, trail camera pictures of, you know, we've, we've seen coyotes on a pretty regular basis because we spend an inordinate amount of time in the timber, but not actually dragging them down. Like we did that day, you know, Don Kiske and I, that was back when, when Jay and Don were with us and Don and I were hunting together and we were in Kansas and I believe it was the early season muzzleloader. And, uh, and he happened to be filming that day and I was hunting and, we watched this deer and it was a young buck. It was a year and a half old buck that went running by us and kept running around, running around. And at first we didn't know what was going on because, you know, typically that time of year, you might see a doe weaning a fawn. So it's not uncommon to see them go through that kind of that circular uh, trot, but this one was all out running. And then finally we saw the coyotes. There was two of them. There was a pair. One would run it for a little while while the other one watched and then the other one would would pipe in and one would stop. And it was I mean, it was regimented like they'd been doing it their entire lives. They knew what they were doing. And this deer didn't have a clue on how to get away from them. Coyotes are made where they can run for a pretty long time. Deer or not deer run in bursts. So they just simply wore that deer down running a pretty broad or pretty wide circle until the deer's mouth was wide open. He was panning. He couldn't hardly go anymore. Yeah. But those that pair. Uh, was so wise and smart in how they did it instinctively, obviously. They uh, then finally he he crossed a little ditch, and one of his back hooves kind of caught in that ditch, and the ditch wasn't maybe a foot or foot and a half deep, mm-hmm. but he stumbled just a little bit. And when that deer stumbled, the coyote took his legs out from under him, hit the ground, rolled, and immediately the other one grabbed him by the neck. So he grabbed him by the neck, 
and then and then the first coyote started pulling his guts out of his belly oh. instantly instantly Jeez. and it was it was through some trees and through some leaves and all that and we got some footage of it but man it was devastating to watch it was uh nature at work and and you know you talk about this that and the other as far as protecting certain animals and certain species but when you see mother nature and how brutal it can be that that deer was bawling literally bawling because the one was holding it by the neck and the other one's pulling his mm. guts out it was uh pretty pretty devastating at the time and they cleaned him i mean within an hour he was clean literally clean so it, it they're they don't waste much they're effective but it was uh quite a quite a show they're effective killers very effective yeah. yeah if if a coyote wanted to kill a human it would not be fun we wouldn't stand a chance literally Luckily, they're generally scared. Of, Typically. Man, yeah. that's what I, I think I told this story on the podcast before. But, man, we had a couple, a pair running through our residential neighborhood, um, I don't know, maybe six months ago, mm -hmm. last year sometime. And, um, you know, people in our in our Facebook subdivision, Facebook page, they'd always kind of give everybody a heads up for people who have, like, small dogs, you know, pets. out there. Yeah, yeah pets. And uh, so – Randa was sitting on our back deck and she's like, Hey, those coyotes are over here. And I mean, it's a little patch of, um, of common ground. That's kind of grown up Yeah, little bitty patch. And they were walking through the neighborhood that way. It was broad daylight. I walk out there and, um, I was like, shit, I need to scare them off because they were heading towards my cousin Justin Lurk, uh, his Justin's house, and he had a small dog. And uh, so I start, yeah, I come down the steps because I got a fence. I come down the steps and I start yelling at them, and they're maybe 15 yards from me just kind of looking at me like they just slowly walked off like, you know. What were you saying to them? Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> that didn't work. Hey, get out of here. <laughs> Go on and get up out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> and that surprisingly didn't. Huh. Just like everyone, they... <laughs> they disregarded you. They disregarded me. <laughs> That's just mad. Whatever. They, I mean, but I'll never forget the look the, the, uh, like the female gave me. She was real big, and she looked like... You know, like I could take Who care of you, you if I yeah. wanted to take care of you. And it's like, man, you can't, you know, I can't shoot. I can't kill them there. And that, that would not go over in the yeah, neighborhood. Right. I can't. Not in the city limits. Though. No, which, you know, I'm in Jefferson County. So pretty much anything goes there, but not, not in my neighborhood. Yeah. So. Well, I, when, when were I, were they on the backside of your fence there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll but they were right under the freaking tree house that all the kids use, you know? Yeah. It was, it was creepy. When I went wow. back, when I went back home this past week, we stayed with my aunt for a few days. She's got a farm outside of Princeton, Illinois, and she was like, "Hey, we've got a problem. There's this coyote that runs up to our so they've got a pasture, and then they've got their little backyard that's fenced in. This coyote keeps coming up like within feet of the fence, trying to lure their dogs out to go oh. chase them, and and that's their thing. Like there's a few that hang back in the woods, and there's always one that trots out to the fence line." to try to get some of these dogs to chase them. They're trying to lure them back where they can, you know, attack them. Uh, but she's like, can you shoot? I was like, no, nah, I can't, you know, I don't have an Illinois hunting license and I just can't do it. But it's crazy how smart and wily they are. Oh yeah. Wily coyotes. All right. They're killers. They're literally killers. Yep. And, and they're smart about how they teach their young how to hunt. You know, a lot of times they, you know, everybody always says, well, it's a, a wounded deer or something oftentimes a coyote won't won't go after a wounded deer they want to teach their young how to how to hunt a healthy deer 
Well, yeah, class. now that we get all the coyote talk in. Coyote talk brought to you by uh, your cast. <laughs> Okay. Let's move on to the question of the day. Dustin has a question for us. All right. The question of the day is probably brought to you by Mossy Oak Properties. Find your favorite place with Mossy Oak Properties. All right. Hey, guys. My name is Dustin Steed from Northeast Alabama. I got a question in regards to food plots with mature bucks. I've got a couple hundred acres of mine and several hundred acres of unpressured property around me. A lot of it's great bedding. Uh, natural browse type of food. I've got a few food plots out there, and I've got uh, good air-sealed, scent-proof shooting houses. But I cannot seem to get the mature bucks to come out during daylight. I get pictures of them right after uh, dusk when they come out, but I can't seem to get shot opportunities in the plots during daylight hours. I was curious if anybody could recommend any kind of food plot screenings to plant or any other kind of uh, recommendations I might could adapt into my property. Appreciate the show. Love the podcast. Thanks, guys. We actually just planted some. Pro- it's a product that Biologic has called Blind Spot that is made for a food plot screen around your blinds. We just planted some at, at our new uh, at my new farm. So I'm I'm yet to see the results because you know obviously we still got a lot of growing yet to do. But from what I've read, it can grow up to seven to ten feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's certainly an option. But there, I, I have a few thoughts on why that might be happening to them. But I'm curious, Terry, w- what your recommendations or thoughts are. Well, and I don't think that's uncommon. His description is something that you hear pretty, pretty often, pretty regular, even down home there, Matt, you know, in, in Bloomsdale, St. Genevieve, you know, it's, it's hard to get those deer, particularly a, m- a mature buck or mature deer to walk out during daylight hours. That's not uncommon, I don't think, anywhere. But with that being said, I think there's some tricks of the trade that you can do to, to kind of help that. And that blind spot is one of them. You know, oftentimes we'll do it with standing corn where we can access our blind, whether it be a ground blind or an elevated blind, uh, without being detected. So we'll build little runways to get from the edge of the timber or the roadway into that blind. The, the other thing while he was saying that, that I was sitting here thinking, because he said he had a scent proof, was I, am I correct yeah, in that? He, did, yep. he could tuck back into that timber, maybe 50 to 70 yards. If he's got, you know, some camera information and got some data there that he knows there's some trails coming together. Or if he's seen where those does are coming out on a regular basis, maybe they come out a little bit earlier. I wouldn't be afraid to tuck back in there, you know, maybe 40 or 50 yards with a scent proof and, uh, and try that because it, it's not uncommon for them to linger back there in the timber until right at dark and then slowly, you know, find their way out to the field. So that's another option. But, you know, we do it all the time. We plant we plant fringes, we plant switch, we plant, you know, cave and rock, canlo, miscanthus, plume. We've got all of those different warm seasons trying to block certain areas so that they can't detect our our uh, our activities. Same way with the corn, we use it, we use it readily. And we know that going in, we plant it accordingly just so that we've got a blocking crop so that when we go in there, we go undetected. I the blind spot is perfect. I, I would not be afraid to use it. Yeah, I think if he were to push the blind back into the timber, he'd have to worry about his access and then yep. know that when you exit your stand and, you know, when the evening hits that you have to worry about how you're getting out and blowing out all the yep. deer that might be, you know, have fed out in the field in front of you. Yep. So 
you really have to think that through and make sure your access is really good. Um, but the, you know, the other thing, Matt, the other thing that that we use to try and make sure that we get them out there during during daylight is go to where they're at. If they're bedding somewhere, you know, it's not uncommon for us to tuck a little food plot into a bedding area, you know, or notch out a little area where you know that they're bedding on a pretty regular basis. And we also like to go green to grain. If you're tucked into that little bedding area, the first thing they want to try and hit is that is green. So we'll plant biological, biologic, non-typical clover. And then we may back that up with either corn or beans so that they, so that they stage up on that green and they feel comfortable there. They still feel like they're in security cover because it may be a small little hidey hole plot and then go out into the, into the destination feed field. So, there's a couple of different ways to approach that, but that would maybe be the first one I'd try. I'd go green to grain and try and get get it close to their bedding, try and make sure it's close to security, and then back it up with some security cover as well and uh, so that they feel comfortable popping out there a little earlier than normal. And a, a couple other things that you would have to know going in, like that we just don't know, factors that we don't know from Dustin, would be, is it open timber? Is it yeah. how big are the fields? Sure. Like we're running into that at one of the leases that, you know, we picked up last year and the deer just would not come out early enough. And I know you've encountered this, whether it was in Illinois or whether it was at the 248 that we had for a few years. Like if it's a big field and it's wide open, a lot of times they just don't feel comfortable coming out until sure. dark. If your timber is open timber and they're bedded, so far back in the timber that it takes them that long to get to the field that's another reason why they might not be coming out until after dark so to your point of creating you know i know mark and his crew goes in and they have a couple farms where they've gone in and, and done tsi or so created some bedrooms so that the deer are a little bit closer to the edge and where they're planting their food so there's a there's a few things that you could do there are you know like you were saying about your grasses you know creating you know crp or warm season grasses creating bedding in some of those fields to kind of close the the amount of openness that yeah. there is and that's something that we're doing in wellsville at, at, at my new farm right now is we've planted a lot of warm season grasses it might take a couple years but we're trying to create more cover because it's a smaller piece of property and i want them to live there the security instead of take too long for them to get there while we're yeah. you know waiting for them in the afternoon well and, and you you dealt with it firsthand last year i mean it was every every evening you were dealing with those bucks coming out late just almost exactly what dustin described you had you had that and we did have it on the 248 you addressed that it was it joined a public area so those deer were just nocturnal we could not get them to cross that bottom field so it took me three years i planted that big bottom field in corn every year for three years they finally got to the point where they felt you know pretty secure getting from one side to the other but it was it was a, a painstaking to get them to where they felt comfortable enough to go out there during daylight and then we started notching out little walkways to get to and from the blind. And then we'd notch out a little food plot inside the corn. So there's ways of doing it, but it may take you a little while before they feel comfortable enough to uh, to do it. It might be a three or four year project for them to uh, feel secure. It's, it's about getting creative 
and getting aggressive in a lot of ways. Like, and, and you know, if, if you're doing one thing year after year and it's just not working, it's about finding a solution to make it work better for you. And, and typically it takes a, a lot of TLC to make yeah. that, you know, sweat equity and make it, to make it happen. Yeah. I, the first well, thing. And did I, did I understand his question correctly? He talked like there was a lot of betting. Yep. You know, that sounded like some tall grasses, like he's already got the grasses. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, like he may be able to carve out a little food plot and maybe he's already got that. I don't know. I, I'd like to see the layout, much like what you're describing there, Matt. I'd love to see if he has timber around him, if it's pines or, or what type of timber it is. And then, you know, exactly elevation changes. I'd love to know, is he in that flatter area in Alabama or is he in some hill ground? Uh, it'd be curious to get a little, a little more background, a little more information from Dustin. Dustin, I'll give you Terry's cell phone number so you can call him and you guys can coordinate a trip. <laughs> no, there you won't. go. All righty. All right. Wildlife word. It's brought to you by Cold Steel Professional Blades for Real Hunters. Woo-wee. Like me and Matt. Well, I've used a professional blade. <laughs> I've been hunting. <laughs> so I'm so, most of the way there. Ipso facto. Okay, it's about deer flies. Deer flies are, no, are they're notorious like for their... <laughs> only the bucks have them. Deer flies are notorious for their painful bites during the summertime. But how can you tell a female from a male? Is it A, females be shopping? B, only females bite? C, females tend to carry a small bag or a clutch? Or D, females emit a high-pitched whine when they fly? I told you to do this. I told you to do that. (laughs) Lots of whining. Take out the trash. (laughs) High frequency whining. (laughs) Well, Terry, we always let the guests go first. And based on what I'm seeing here, there's really only one answer. But I'd love to hear you. Yeah, the one about the shopping. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Emails be shopping. Mm -mm. I think it's B. I think only females bite. Okay. You are correct, sir. Congratulations to you. I win nothing. Yes. Well, next time you're bitten by a, ho- a, a deer fly, and the same thing with horse flies. Deer, deer fly and horse flies are the same. Only the females bite. So when you're sitting there with a little scoop of flesh taken out of your hide, bleeding, you can say, ah, that was a female. So are deer flies just like regular flies and you're calling them deer flies? <laughs> like when, how do I know it's a deer fly? So deer flies are bigger than a house fly. Okay. They have like almost like camouflage wings and they have like almost like, like a pattern drawn on their eyes. They're, then they're smaller. They're bigger than a house fly, smaller than a horse fly. So you're telling me this fly is flying around you and you're looking at it through You're looking at it in its eyes and you're like that one, that's well, a deer fly. Probably when it lands, it's going to be hard to... <laughs> Sort of what kind of eyeball it's got while it's flying around. But when it lands, you see like they've got like brown modeling on their wings. I think I encountered some on Monday when we were pouring concrete at the farm. And when they bite you, you know it. I do know it. Because... Horse flies, I bet. It, it's funny we're even talking about this. I got bit no less than a dozen times yesterday by Ooh, horse flies. Dang. Here on a the farm, they're lousy this year for whatever reason. And they're not full grown yet. They're just small horse flies. Yeah. 
Well, lots of them. The reason that that the females need to, the the reason that it's only the females that bite are that they need the protein in in a blood meal to make to create the eggs. That's what she said. The males just wow. just feed off of pollen and in, uh, uh, juice from different vegetation, but it's the the females that will go around and like horse flies have like a scoop, like a like razor blade scoops that they will just and pull it, you know, just move a chunk of flesh off of you, and then like they have a sponge that they just kind of their mouth is like a sponge part. It, it just it just sucks up the blood that's there, and horse flies have like like razor blades that just cut you like an incision, and then they lap up the blood that comes out. I don't think so, Tim. I wish it weren't so, but it's true. <laughs> even, even biting you through your shirt, they, they hurt like hell, those oh. horse flies. Yeah. Like, and you don't know it until it's too late. They're pretty quiet in how they land, and then once they get that little chunk of your skin, you go, damn. Well, and I'm usually swatting at them. And the, and the horse flies will get like sometimes almost two inches long. They're massive. They'll hurt you. Okay, we better move on. I got too many. Sound go back to bites coyote talk. Here. No, I want to just move on okay. to the end. All right. <laughs> hey, you talked about your concrete. That turned out nice. Uh, yeah. So uh, Monday we poured. I say we. I helped. Like shake and bake. <laughs> what, so, what exactly? While you're saying that, what exactly was your role, Matt? What did you do? Well, let's dig in here. Well, the construction term I can't share on the podcast because I, oh, really? I keep getting in trouble for cussing on the podcast. Yeah, so. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but basically, I was a drag. I was dragging. I was. I was. You. You were blocking. Yeah. Uh, blocking. Dragging okay. and blocking. Yeah. So you were dragging. Wow. Well, blocking. Not Who dragging. Was on? Oh, you were blocking. Yeah, I was Who blocking. Because I would have assumed that Werner and Frenchie were dragging. They were dragging. I was blocking. Yeah. Yeah. With. Uh, Greg and the other kid, Jacob. So D Terry owns a construction company. He's a civil engineer by trade. And so they had one short window before they're starting a, a bunch of new work uh -huh. that they could come up and help pour this concrete pad that I wanted to put in front of the shop. Looks nice. And it, it I mean, it's amazing to watch these guys work because they're so fast. They're so good at what they do. Obviously, they're professional. They probably wanted to avoid the 100 degree heat that day. Yeah, they got there at possible. 7 and it was formed up by 730 and we were done by, I mean, like all the way the forms were stripped and they were out of there by one. <laughs> so, and on to another shot. job, by the way. Oh, yes. so. They did go to another project that day. Yeah. They but, left the shop that morning about four 30, four 30 AM. Yeah. So, and I woke up the next day, both Scott and I were talking about how sore we were. And I'm like, God, these guys like Werner, he's Mark's age and Greg yes. is too. Jeez. And these guys are animals. I mean, they are real work. Yeah. They can make a lot of people in this office, the other line of work Terry has. I got a hurt elbow yeah. from moving my mouse around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Different story. Yeah, exactly. I got nothing but respect from those guys. And it had been probably 20 years since I'd worked with them the last time. Because uh, I used yeah. to work for Dad's Construction Company all through high school and then the first few years of college. And pouring concrete and doing, you know, laying water line and all kinds of stuff. And so uh, always the same role. <laughs> The, the word I can't say on the podcast, but I don't know what this word is. I, I can't it, wait till after the show. It was fun. It. it was fun to work with those guys again. Cause it had been about 20 years. I, th I think yeah. we figured it up since I had last, last worked with them. And it, you know, it's funny you mentioned that Matt, because I've, I've been telling them they need to start looking for some younger blood because you know, if we're, if we're doing a big concrete project and we're setting two by eight, you know, Simon farms, 
you know, those farms weigh 135 pounds a piece. So if you're packing those all day long and if you're going up 20 foot or 24 foot and you're trying to get them up to the next set of scaffolding, by the end of the day, you're you're done. You're toast. And we're all getting a little bit older. And I, I keep saying, man, you guys are going to have to find somebody young, get somebody that'll work. And that's the issue. They can't find anybody that Good wants luck. to wants to work real hard, whether it's tying steel or, or setting farms or pouring concrete or whatever it may be. A real man's job. A real man's job. <laughs> As we're here work. making apps. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I got nothing but respect for them. Not only, not only are they great at what they do, but they're doing it, you know, whether it's freezing out in the winter or, or hot as hell in the summer, they're always out in the conditions. Always out there, so, yeah. A lot of respect for the, the working class. Well, I got, I got, and I, go ahead, Tim. I was just gonna I was gonna say something bad about our listeners, but you should probably go. <laughs> well, I, I agree with Matt, and fortunately, these guys uh, I don't know if they know it or not, but I'm I'm extremely compassionate when it comes to hot weather because I hate it, hate it terribly. I, I just never was a hot weather. Our radiators are built for 20 below, not 120. So oh, man, man, when it's hot, I I feel for them. And I'm the first one to say, stay hydrated, drink a lot of water. If it gets too hot, knock off. Start, you know, they start early, they quit early this time of yeah. year. And and a lot of days by one or two, they're done. They'll I, work through lunch or something and, and just knock off. Because I, I don't want nobody to get overheated. Because once you've been hot, you, you never get it back. You know, then you get hot easier and easier uh, from then on. You know, if you get overheated, it's a bad, bad scenario. It's going to be in the upper 90s today. What time you want us to head out <laughs> here in our air conditioned office yeah. i thought about going for a walk at lunch should i just go home <laughs> <laughs> well, terry said <laughs> yeah quite a bit different <laughs> so well and working one day with those guys you it's an appreciation of what they do and an appreciation of the job you have if it's inside and oh yeah particularly this time of year man it's like oh i'm gonna sit in an air conditioner I it's those guys don't have that luxury. I think you know? Frenchie said something like, well, you're going to come back to work for us. I said, oh, no, you got to know what you're good at in life. And this is not <laughs> I knew in high school that this was not something I was good at. So, yeah, you know, it's you got to know your role. I would go help dad on side jobs. He was a carpenter all his life and I would go help dad on side jobs. And it was just like the money was pretty good. Like, you know, it was usually just like cash on the side, but it was enough to know I don't want to do this for a living yeah too hard <laughs> you know what if matt matt has got kind of the site grading and you know earthwork and concrete he's got that aspect and you've got the carpenter side you guys could nope. start a little company maybe and you know really start maybe Go. doing some remodels and maybe throw up a, a couple shouses and what have you <laughs> can you just imagine how no. over budget over scheduled like it would be shoddy work. <laughs> right. The only redeeming factor was like someone needs to be there to film it. We have to pull Scott and Alan into everything we do. It would be like a fire fest. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, we've got no shout outs this week. We do have, uh, oh, come on, guys, rack packers and people, other people that may listen. We need shout outs. I'm going to use language here, but I'm going to call you guys stinkers. Excuse my language. I'm just really worked oh, up. Oh, that right was now. the word I was going to say. The guys in the construction site called me. Oh, you could say that. That's <laughs> fine. Oh, that Matt, he's a stinker. Yeah. So, 
they use i learned uh, quite the vocabulary growing up from the construction yeah site. <laughs> yeah they're artists yeah all right we better read the newest uh, rack pack members here we have uh dustin potter jason Pugh, joshua waba that was a guy i went to college with actually he's a good Whoa. dude mike janky he used to work for the guys over at driven also a good dude rj reisner mike janky where did he work at matt uh, with Pat and Nicole. He used to film for him. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah good, good dude. Funny as hell. Too. Good guy. Can, can put some beer down. <laughs> uh, John Jensen, <laughs> Natural Born. Oh, the fake name is Natural Born. Natural hey. Born. Come on, you got to make it harder than that. Okay. <clears throat> Scott Sherman, Caleb Johnston, and Aaron Olson. Yeah. We should mention our buddy Chris Johnson, Captain Chris C Squared. He was our guy last last week that contributed a bunch of new Rack Pack members because he went through his Facebook friends list and invited a bunch of people. So appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, that's my bad. This is that's the guy that sent us all the the pecan the the artisan pecans and walnuts and the brittle the peanut the brittle that I only got to eat. <laughs> so Captain Crazy Nuts, thank you. We appreciate it. Terry is a huge fan of peanut brittle as well. I had saved two bags for him. He didn't come to the studio, so his I fault. ate his two bags. Yeah. So we might have to have you ship a couple more. All right. Terry? Uh, you know what? Today's the first day I heard anything about peanut brittle. <laughs> so obviously, I would have probably went to the studio if I'd have known there was peanut brittle there available. But... I didn't find word or catch wind of it till just right before this podcast started. So evidently, Matt really thought it was delicious and elected to eat it all. I ate yeah. four bags in two weeks <laughs> and gained about five pounds. So, yeah, it was tasty, and uh, I have no regrets. I can just imagine Terry walking into the office one day and uh, just kind of matter-of-factly saying, no, I, there was a mention of brittle. Um, where, where might I find be, that? Yeah, I mean, like, we don't see Mark and Terry at all in the studio. Like, since Mark and Tracy are totally in Iowa, like, he does not come around anymore. The brittle changes the equation. Brittle changes yeah. the equation. That's right. It, it's kind of like Matt Arndt's baking you know when uh, we know there's going to be some kind of baked goods there it's nice to just kind of pop in and grab some cupcakes some cookies some cakes some pie <laughs> whatever matt's conjuring up everybody likes it and and this is producer matt matt drury is not in that realm so <laughs> all right we gotta move on i got i got other things to okay do. we terry, got deer cast maps fires to put out yeah always all right terry thanks for hopping in we appreciate it man Thank you guys. I hope I hope everybody gets an, an opportunity to uh, you know toy with with DeerCast DeerCast maps. I think that if they're an avid deer hunter or a novice, it can be very very useful, and I think they'll be glad they glad they uh, they did it once they've tried it out through the season. And Tim, you brought this up. If you if you haven't started messing with it, now's the time because the more you mess with it, the better you get at it. And I think the uh, functionality is is pretty easy once you uh, get in there and yeah. start toying around with it. Uh, last night, real quick. So Michael Engelmeyer, fantastic photographer, a great friend. He and I were texting last night, and he was in DeerCast Maps messing around with it. And it was the first time he had start. He's starting to think about food plots and uh -huh. stuff. And he's like, "This is so freaking easy to use." Uh, and that that was a unsolicited compliment. So that that was the whole point was trying to make it user friendly and easy. Yeah, so. yeah, hundred percent. Great to hear. All right. Well, Terry, uh, appreciate you jumping on and look forward to hunting with you on your place uh, this fall. <laughs> huh. A weird thing to say. 
Yeah, what dates? What dates are those? Whenever you want me, I'll be there. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to make it that day. <laughs> oh, you don't need to be there. I have your waypoints. <laughs> right. yeah, there you go. I got everything in Deercast Maps, buddy. <laughs> That's the oh, There you go. Play. I'm going to share some waypoints, but they won't be on this farm. <laughs> All right. Bye, well, guys. Thanks. Thank Until Take next care. time. Peace out. See ya. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind check out to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast.